it looked like did, did you bench chase Claypool for a while? Uh, I did. Is that because of the penalty? Yes. We'll see. into another episode of triple zeros this is episode number 156 man we are flying through these bad boys that that you just heard was uh head coach of the pittsburgh steelers mike tomlin addressing the media following their loss uh, or i'm sorry yeah their loss to the minnesota vikings um after right receiver chase claypool had some head scratching decisions uh, before we get into any of that as you know we have some other stuff to get into of course my name like i said is joshua buckhalter host of the triple zeros podcast the anti-high tech sports show be sure to follow me on twitter at joshy buck hit up the facebook page clocker sports website clockersports.com email address clockersports at gmail.com and of course you can follow the show on facebook and twitter at three zeros pod that's the number three zeros and pod um yeah, man, like I said, Pittsburgh Steelers had that game against Minnesota. They, they were down 29-0. They rallied furiously to come back, but they didn't quite make it. Uh, but before we get into any of that, really, we got some other stuff that we got to get to. All right, maybe we do start off with that. Either way it goes. <laughs> so the Steelers, um, I want to start off with by saying this. They are uh, being held hostage by Ben Roethlisberger. And it's their, of their own doing, right? They had They could have decided to say, hey, Ben, we don't really need you to come back this year. You know, it probably would be best if you decided to move on. Um, they fell, uh, as I try to look up the final here, because I can't find it, 36-28 to the Minnesota Vikings. Like I said, they were down 28 no- or 29 nothing. They rallied back to get this one. Uh, great day by Dalvin Cook. Justin Jefferson went off. Ben struggled, though, and it's not that he doesn't still have uh, it in spurts, right? He can still give you some good play from from moment to moment in the game. Uh, 300 yards, 28 of 40 30, uh, three touchdowns, one pick. Najee Harris, 20 carries, 94 yards, right? They they weren't horrible, but there's just moments where they're not uh, they're not confusing enough. They're not tricking you enough. They're not disguising anything to the point where you know what's coming. And Ben's a sitting duck back there in the in the pocket more often than not. Uh, Kirk Cousins on the other side, 14 to 31, 30, 216 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. Kirk Cousins is going to give you some opportunities to uh, get back in the game. And so Dalvin Cook, 205 yards on the ground, Right. And before this game, talking about it last week, I was wondering if Mike, Mike Zimmer, head coach of the Vikings, was actually going to be out because of that loss to the Lions. And I'm still wondering now, even though they won this game, 29-0, you win by eight points? That's, and you only scored seven points after that lead. Like, that's, that's quite insane and quite the uh, 21 fourth quarter points given up there, too, as well, by that defense that's supposed to be your calling card. Back to the Steelers, though. Mike Tomlin is my favorite coach. And it's, it's typically because he's very direct and to the point. Um, with that Chase Claypool, as we just heard there, he was talking about Claypool's decision to uh, celebrate a first down as opposed to just running the ball back. Now, I'm going to show you in a second here what Claypool had to say in response to that, what his, his reasoning, his logic behind his actions were. And I will just say this. I wish that Tomlin would, would apply, and maybe he has in private. I'm not sure. But publicly, we don't really get too much. And again, part of his appeal to me is that he he's very direct and there's not a lot of words or you can't get the words out that you get out of some coaches that we may see in other areas, maybe particularly right around here in Chicago. Coaches that like to you know bump gums and say a lot of stuff without really saying anything. 
here's Tomlin and and uh, Chase Claypool, and I'll talk about what where my stances with Tomlin, this situation, and then why I brought up Roethlisberger first uh, after this. Mike, it looked like did, did you bench Chase Claypool for a while? Uh, I did. Is that because of the penalty? Yes. Uh, was the message service we'll see why celebrate the first down there late it obviously cost your team a few seconds yeah um, you know definitely got to be better uh, I got tackled near the hash did my little first down point and uh, went to hand the ball to the ref he had just got there right um, so even if I got right up and looked for him he's put in there so he, he ran down the field to come get the ball. And the ball got knocked out of my hands. That's what cost us time. Um, but I definitely do have to be better. Uh, I knew the situation. I knew, you know, I know I'm near the hash. I know the ball's placed in the hash. But I got to be better, and uh, the ball shouldn't get knocked out of my hands. It should be. So he's right in that the referee did just arrive once he uh, made his little, as he called it, his little first down point for no reason. First down is not, I, you know. At that point in the game, get get lined up. Now, to his point, like I said, the referee was was just getting there when he turned the hand the ball off. However, had he ran the ball to the middle, as we've seen many a player do before, ran the ball to the middle himself and then got himself lined up, he wouldn't have to scramble back after handing the ball off to the ref. See, the problem isn't that you were looking for the ref and he just got there. The problem was that you weren't going to be set regardless. And in the end, the Steelers only got off, got off one play as opposed to two, and possibly even three had they had enough uh, had their druthers about him. Now, I will say this: that wasn't his biggest um, his biggest transgression. That which he ended up getting uh, benched for. Now he didn't get benched for that. He got benched for the biggest one, and that was poking. Oh, and I cannot remember who it was, but a Vikings defender in his helmet, Brashad Breeland, I want to say, poking him in his face mask and drawing a personal a taunting penalty. He drew some ire from Bre- from Breeland, who pushed him. And Claypool tried to, you know, do the whole all oh, hands up my my bad. I am such a non-fan of players who do that, that agitating poking stuff. Like, if you want to agitate with your play, that's fine. You want to talk a little try to poking and putting your fingers and hands on people, be outside of the lines. Big no-no for me. Big turn off. So I, look, he's right. You know, the ref had just gotten there. I still argue that he would have had enough time to get the ball down, put the ball down himself, and then line up. And then maybe things would have gone a little bit quicker for them, um, but ultimately the bigger one was the poking of the 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 of Breland in the face mask. There was no reason for that. And again, I think it it adds to my displeasure, my distaste for it. The 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 arms up. Oh, I didn't do nothing, fam. You are on camera. <laughs> you are on camera, dog. Like we all see you. You're not hiding it from anybody. Um, I will say this: he led the team with eight catches, ninety three yards. Right. But you can't have those kind of penalties. And if he's going to be the, the next B guy, which I think he is, because I'm not sure that I see the same level of uh, the ceiling that everybody else sees in Deontay Johnson. I like Deontay Johnson, but I think that the the, the the guy for them could be Claypool if he can get his head on straight uh, consistently. For the Steelers, though, they are are one of the teams that I think came into the league or into the year with greater expectations than they probably should have. And that's why I bring it back to Ben Roethlisberger and, and really Mike Tomlin. And how I wish he would have handled this. I'm not sure that they didn't have this kind of conversation, but the the bluntness, like when Claypool made the first with the poking problem with the the personal foul, he came over and Tomlin talked to him right away. With Ben, you get a lot of outwardly spoken things that perhaps should be kept in house. 
Um, you get some poor play and then finger pointing. And I just want to know, and I hope that Tomlin is holding him to the same level of account that he does everybody else. I get the quarterbacks are, are held to a different standard publicly, but privately, I would hope that they would be something different. I can't say that it's not uh, because he hasn't been run. He hasn't run amok to the point where they're talking. You know, you get a lot of bad talk about him other than Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. And we see how that's worked out uh, for Le'Veon. Antonio Brown lucked out in that Tom Brady is a fan of his. The Steelers' biggest problem, though, and their biggest, I'm sorry, the biggest miss is that they didn't plan for this. There were, it was obvious last year that Ben was pretty washed. So, so to come into this year without a better backup plan other than Dwayne Haskins as your, you know, potential quarterback of the future was a, a serious miss that I don't think we see from an organization like this far too often. Now, there's a good chance that they address that this year, and it might be via veteran, but it probably would behoove them because that veteran is going to be older. It probably would behoove them to start that process of bringing in younger quarterbacks yearly to try to do something and see what they can get out of them. And, and it, even if you're just bringing in young cast-offs, you should probably have a better succession plan so that if Ben is struggling, look, man, because there are they, it's, it's – again, he's got it in spurts, but just not consistently enough. So moving around the rest of the NFL, Demarius Thomas, former Broncos and I want to say Titans, wide receiver, uh, passed away at the age of 33 this year. TMZ reports uh, local authorities are saying that it is uh, a health issue. And that uh, that's all that we really have right now as opposed to as of in, in way of information of how he passed away. Uh, played for the Broncos and Houston and the Jets. Very sad. Um, four-time Pro Bowler. Super Bowl champion. Um, he was a guy who I think was one of the more dynamic receivers when he came out of Georgia Tech. He came out after Calvin Johnson. So, you know, the comparisons were there when he was uh, going through the process. Big guy, 6'3", 200 plus, 220, something like that pounds. Um, him and Eric Decker were the pair of receivers, right, with with Peyton Manning. And so um, I won't say he's one of the forgotten guys, but he's one of the guys that you don't – that doesn't get talked about nearly enough for the impact that he had while he did play. And uh, it's just sad to see. 33, I'm 35. You know what I mean? Like, that's 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 tough, man. That's far too young to be passing away. Um, I'm not again not sure what the medical issue was, just that there was a medical issue behind it. And so thoughts and prayers go out to his family. Um there was an outpour of support from former teammates and uh and yeah, just shows you the type of and not even just teammates, people that he came across in life. So just goes to show you the kind of person, the kind of life that he was leaving outside of and off of the football field. Dallas Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy guaranteed a win this weekend when the Cowboys faced the Washington football team on the road in Washington. And people are really just, you know, having their fit about it. Now, here's the thing about it. I'm not sure that he was talking. He, it could be perceived he was talking. You could also say that he was just saying that they were going, they were traveling with the part, with the intent to win. That was their, that was their, their, their proposed intent. Right. Or he could be saying, no, nah, we was going down to kicks of tail. He was, he could be trash talking. Either way, it's really nothing to get up in arms up about. However, football team head coach Ron Rivera said that he made a big mistake. You know, that's a big mistake, saying that nice put the focus on him and 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 um, taking away from his team. And I'm, I I I stopped short of going that far with it, if only because what's wrong with saying you're going to win the game, even if you feel like you're, even if you're you're you are capping a little bit. If you don't feel like you're going to win the game, why go? 
If my head coach doesn't think we're going to win the game, what the hell are we doing getting on the team plane and then the bus from the hotel? Why are you showing up on the silos with the clipboard and the headset? What are, what are we doing? So I'm not – and again, conversely, I see Rivera's point and his angle. Get your team fired up. Can you believe this guy said this? Can you believe this clown is talking like this, coming to our place, talking like this to us, right? That's, that's the thought process there. You're trying to get your team fired up about something they might not be. Now, this is a, a big implications for this. Dallas is 8-4. and four. Washington is 6-6. Six and six, So control of the division is on the line here um, or, or is not on the line because they will still have the, the what you call it, the one-game lead. But these teams play again in two weeks. So that just adds to the level of, of uh, necessity for getting a win for both teams. Dallas comes in quite beat up. Um, Ezekiel Elliott is dealing with the busted up knee while backup Tony Pollard has a torn plantar fascia muscle, which apparently, and I just found today I learned, that the torn muscle is better than the strain or the tear or the pull. I'm not sure what it, or the, 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 whatever the other one is. And I'm not even sure why, but it's better to completely tear it than to have it. Now, it's kind of like a break. You'd rather have a break than a fracture. But it's just a wild thing to ever hear something that's better to have it to completely be busted up than to have it be a little bit damaged. Um, Dallas has also not been great on defense. And so, I listen, I'm, while I, I, I don't fault, find fault in what McCarthy said, I do know that Dallas, who is 4-2, by the way, on the road, um, I'm not so sure that the football team is one to, to be the pushover. Again, I'm not even sure that he was talking trash. I just know that I don't really care. I don't think that's a bad thing to say. But I also do think Rivera was wrong for trying to get his guys riled up, even if in a vacuum, him saying that's a mistake is probably a little bit over the top, right? Like, it's all right. Like, it's not a mistake. You might not agree, but it's not a mistake. Let's not go that far. Bleacher Report released their worst trades of the decade, and yes, Bears fans, Mitchell Trubisky, trading up to get Mitchell Trubisky in 2017, did make the list. Uh, the Bears give up a haul of picks. I've always held that that wasn't necessarily the, the worst move. The worst move was then compounding it. And again, that's in hindsight because in the moment, yes, that's the worst move. But in hindsight, compounding it by trading for Khalil Mack really is what set them back because then they couldn't uh, they couldn't correct the issue for the next three, four years. So that's 2017, four years. So <laughs> that's why I think um, that was a bigger issue than 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 the actual uh, than the actual trade itself. Now I'm not saying that it was a good trade. Um, at the time, I was pulling hard for them to take Deshaun Watson, and not even at that spot. What I wanted, my bright idea was, and it's funny that I said because I'm going to tell you why. Just stay with me. Um, my bright idea was for them to take safety Jamal Adams. <laughs> that was who I wanted them to draft and then take uh trade back up into the first round and get uh and get Watson. That uh that didn't happen. They didn't quite go that way. Now I will say this. Jamal Adams also made the list. Um and and it's it's quite interesting that he made the list because he the, the trade just happened, but they gave up first round first round pick 17 months ago. First round picks for him um and he's he's still a, a good pass rusher as a safety, right? Good tackler, but he can't cover worth a lick and is a, a liability in coverage. So I listen. I, I 
I'll say this. I wasn't wrong because I feel like I feel like with Eddie Jackson, Jamal Adams would be perfect. And I feel like Deshaun Watson, well, that's a whole other situation because we know about the troubles that he's gotten himself into uh, outside of the game. Um, also on the list, though, Houston Texans, DeAndre Hopkins to the uh, Arizona Cardinals, which was a, for, for David Johnson in the second-round pick. Okay. Like, he's hurt, and it's still a bad trade. Like, it's not good. Um, New England Patriots sending a second-round pick to the Atlanta Falcons for Muhammad Sanu. One of the rare miscues from Bill Belichick and the crew, um, overvaluing a player that really didn't help them much. The Cleveland Browns trade for Odell Beckham Jr. This one was, I think, um, a, a clash of styles. I don't think it was necessarily a bad move in concept or in theory. You wanted a, a top-notch receiver or, in theory, again, a top-tier receiver for your budding quarterback and your, you know, your fledgling team and your your Strong ground game. It's like a good compliment. Did not work out that way, and he's now in L.A. Made a good impact last game. We'll see. If he still has it, it's going to look bad on Cleveland more than it is on anybody else. So I'm, that's why I say it wasn't necessarily a bad trade. Just, you know, the execution didn't quite work out the way that anybody had uh, hoped. Also on the list, Jared Goff. The Rams trade up for him. Remember that? That was a big thing that uh, didn't have to happen. Um, so that's on there. And then Philadelphia Eagles trading LaShawn McCoy to Buffalo. This one was actually one that, I mean, it was bad. It did. It didn't. It wasn't bad. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If they, I don't know if, if if Philly was winning anything with McCoy there as opposed to what they ended up going uh, anyway. So I for Kiko Alonso. So I mean, you know, whatever. And McCoy had an all right. Had three good years with Buffalo after that too. So I, I don't really follow. I don't find that one as being on there. This one, the Colts trading for Trent Richardson. It wasn't bad enough that they traded for him from the Browns. They gave up a first-round pick. We laud Chris Ballard for his smart moves that got to Forrest Buckner there and how they crashed that defense out. No names in, in draft picks, right? The offensive line, they've built it that way. This was a bad move for the Colts organization. I'm not even sure if Ballard was there. I don't think Ballard was there for this one. I think that was right before him. This might have been the one that got him to do it. Um, yeah, Chuck Pagano at the time called him a rolling ball of butcher knives. Uh, yeah, not good. Not good. So it's a, it's a pretty... Um, Pretty a uh, 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 infamous list or a list that's just you know you're not not one that you really want to be a part of, but some good titles and yeah, just had to throw it out there because uh, Mr. Trubisky did make that list. Jaguars quarter uh, head coach quarterback Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer is reportedly under fire from his own staff and players because nobody likes him. <laughs> Reports are that Meyer is it's it's reaching a boiling point that he has uh, questioned his assistant's resumes, calling himself a winner and them losers, um, and then challenging them to explain and, and, and validate their resumes, which is interesting because he's a college coach who hasn't done jack shit in the NFL, which, so I find that quite entertaining. Um, you also have him benching James Robinson, who was the Jaguars' best player last season, and arguably is so this year, despite the fact Trevor, Trevor Lawrence is there. Um, benching as a, after a, a fumble, left in Carlos Hyde, his former Ohio State player, which I don't think plays as big a part in this as everything else, but still a not good sign, right? You don't want that. Um, he left him in until Lawrence came over and questioned, this is a report, questioned Robinson's not being in the game, to which Meyer then put him back in the game and then afterwards said, hey, he wasn't out there. we got to get the best guys on the field, and, you know, I think we did that. So he basically glossed over him, benching him for his own personal reasons. Did he lose track of it? I don't know what's going on here. I do know the writing was on the wall a while back, and I think that the winning, the the not winning, but the, the slight look of a turnaround in momentum and efforts and in, in, in fortunes, 
kind of put lipstick on that pig, but now it's oinking again, and I'm not sure how they make it through this season. Urban Meyer has just not been a likable person. And while that's not everything, right, especially when it comes to football, he's also not winning football games. And that's where you get into the bigger problem. And, I, and so, I look, Urban Meyer, man, the, it's been signs from Jump Street. They keep trying to make it. You know, oh, uh, no, nah, we'll, we'll get through it this time. You know, Urban will be good if we just let him, uh, if we just let it be. You know, just kind of kind of keep playing it out. First season, he's getting, he's getting his feet wet, getting acclimated to the league and all that kind of stuff and how things are going. Um, you know, just kind of got to let it play out. We've now seen him in a bar, getting grinded up on by some young college hussy, right? Some some hussy, some, 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 uh, some tart, <laughs> right? And now we've got him challenging his own assistants. And their and their schedule as his team has lost four straight. Things are going swimmingly up in Jacksonville, up in Duval County. This weekend's tick. So, so before we go, I got to give you guys some picks. I haven't given you picks. I haven't kept track of nothing. I am so sorry. I'm not good at this. Listen, man, I'm not gonna act like there's any other reason. I just lost track of it. And I haven't been paying attention. So let's get into it. <laughs> I've already told you, I feel like the football team is going to beat the Cowboys because they're banged up at running back. I'm not sure what the receiver status. I think they got everybody back healthy. Um, they're going to give them a challenge, though. But I still see the Cowboys coming out on top of this one slightly. Maybe a 16-14 game, some ugly divisional contest. I don't see them them going out in a way, especially if they struggle to run the ball. Jacksonville at Tennessee. That's another loss of Jacksonville. They're going to be 2-11 after this one. Tennessee, while they haven't been great without Derrick Henry, they have found something with running backs uh, Dante Foreman and Dontro Hilliard and Tannehill still is serviceable when he gets time. Uh, they also get Julio Jones back this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. So that'll be a big boost for that team. I get them in a win. Seahawks taking on the Texans. Davis Mills taking over for Tyrod Taylor for the rest of the season. Uh, head coach David Cullis saying that he feels like that it gives them the best chance to win. Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook, Russell Wilson. I used to do that a lot. I haven't done that in a while. Russell Wilson, probably not long for Seattle after they are now losing, facing his first losing season, I believe, in his career there. Um, he has not looked great. The team has not looked great. He looked better last week, so we'll see if they can try to fix something around and get some good vibes as the season closes out. But I do not see a postseason in their future. I do see a win over a moribund Texas franchise, Texans franchise in this game. Raiders taking on the Chiefs. Chiefs seem like they are fighting something while the Raiders are slowly but surely being the Raiders. They are 6-6, six and six, um, and I don't think they're going to get this game, despite the fact that I think that they could run and challenge the Chiefs and make them work for it. Like I said, though, the Chiefs feel like they are figuring things out there, so we'll see what happens. Give me the Chiefs in this game. Saints taking on the Jets. These are two bad teams, and it's not the Saints' fault entirely. They are extremely banged up. The Jets just suck. Um, and so I get the Saints in this. I'm not going to give you much commentary on that other than the Saints in, a, in, in this game, despite the fact that I'm not confident in either quarterback. And I, I, that's a fact, Jack. I just am more confident, confident in what Sean Payton can do with what little he has as opposed to what we've seen from Robert Sala and co. so far. And again, I'm not uh, grading or deciding them ultimately, just so far. Carolina Panthers are hosting the Atlanta Falcons in this game. Cam Newton has not been good. Um, I have to say it out loud because people think that I <laughs> I am a Cam fan. But I have acknowledged that for the past couple of years, it has not been what I had hoped. And what I, I feel like he could be if he'd have actually applied himself in ways other than trying to be seen. Um, the Falcons have been a tough out for a few opponents. They've also been crappy in other games. So this is a toss-up. I like the Panthers at home, though. The defense is a little bit has been tougher. Um, and I think that at home they should get a boost. I'm not sure. I'm not confident. This is my least confident. I usually have one of these. This is my least confident pick of the week just because they're both bad teams. 
Ravens taking on the Browns. Baltimore had a pretty crappy showing uh, last week, I want to say, against Pittsburgh, and uh, people are really down on them right now, and Lamar Jackson, how how could they be leading the division when he has been regressing in this and the third? I will say that certain quarterbacks seem to have to constantly prove themselves every single week, despite the fact that they've done much more good than bad over their larger body of work. I find that very entertaining, um, but I will say that I am not as worried about the Baltimore Rays, especially this week against the uh, uh, Cleveland Browns team, that while they can run the ball very well, if they got to rely on Baker Mayfield, that's when things start falling apart. I think that it is imperative for Baltimore to get out into an early start on that one. I will say that. If they are in a battle where Cleveland is able to run the ball consistently throughout the game, they could struggle. But if they are able to go ahead and, and attack Cleveland and jump out in front of them and make Baker Mayfield have to be a quarterback in this game, this will go Baltimore's way, point blank, period. No hands, no doubts about it. New York Giants taking Oh, I'm sorry. Give me the Ravens in that one. Uh, New York Giants visiting the tra- take on the, the Los Angeles Chargers. Giants don't even know who their quarterback's going to be, and they're banged up as well. Chargers are at home. They won't have any receivers, though. I believe that Cle- Keenan Allen's been ruled out. Not sure the status of Mike Williams. Um, and I believe there's one other player who's also in COVID protocol, so we'll look out for that. But uh, I just don't have any faith in what the Giants have going on at all, top to bottom, and so give me the Chargers in that game. Detroit Lions, the 1-10-1 Detroit Lions taking on the 6 6 Broncos, who are an enigma in and of, in and of themselves. Some games, they look like they could be a, a world-beater playoff team. Other, t- other games, they look like they shouldn't uh, even be trying to do this this year. But they can beat the Lions. Um, they got their first win over the Vikings last week. That'll probably be it for them for the year. Um, I'm not even sure how they got that one. They shouldn't have got it, but they did. Broncos, again, still be selling this week. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not sure what to make of them. I just don't know what to make of them. Right? They're not, they haven't been healthy all year. They've been dealing with a lot of stuff. Um, they didn't like Teddy Bridgewater. Now they like him again. That's my boys headed two gloves. Um, we'll see what happens with them, but I do think that they win this game. San Francisco 49ers taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals have tr- got to get Jamar Chase going again. I think this might be the game to do it as they'll be faced with a tough defense and a tough run game, but one that can be had by the pass and one that isn't necessarily the most challenging um, if you can force them to become a passing offense as well in San Francisco. So give me the Bengals at home in that one. That's three straight homers. I don't know if I like the way this is going because next you got – the Buffalo Bills taking on the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. Tampa is 9-3 and three and looking like the best team in the NFL once again. Um, give me them hosting a Buffalo team that's very one-dimensional and is going to continue to struggle in that regard until they figure out how to get a, a solid ground to take outside of Josh Allen scrambling. Then you got the Bears and the Packers. It's going to be the Packers. I don't even know. I don't want to say much about it. Um, Bears are going to be healthy offensively, but they're still the Bears and it's still the Packers, and the Packers are the Aaron Rodgers. You heard what he said. All right, I ain't going to tell you what he said. You know what he said, damn it. <sighs> Maybe, and, and I, I don't think so, but there are some thoughts that this could be a game because the, 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 the McCaskey family holds this game in higher regard than others, which might be part of the problem. Um, but there's the thought that maybe Matt Nagy gets relieved of his duties if they lose bad enough. I don't see that happening. I also don't know if that's the way to go about it because I think if you're rooting for that, you're rooting for players to start selling, and if you're doing that, then you're, you're, you're getting in a tricky, uh, slippery slope with who you have on your team and the kind of quality of player that you have on your team. So I don't necessarily want to root for them to lose, uh, even if it does mean that there's change coming, I think it's coming anyway. What I don't want to see is them wait too long and miss out on, on uh, quality top-notch candidates because they, they tried to be nice guys and follow whatever arbitrary deadline timeline that they had set for themselves. Finally, you have the Rams and the Cardinals. The Cardinals are 10-2. The Rams are 8-4. and 4. 
have struggled. They had a good game last weekend. They, are, they have struggled, though, against top-notch teams. Cardinals are indeed a top-notch team. Kyler Murray came back at last uh, week against the Bears and looked just as good as he had before going down. So I would expect them to keep rolling here. The Rams continue to struggle to find, despite all of their uh, pricey additions. They have a very, very strong, I think, 2011 Philadelphia Eagles team, that dream team Eagles. Yeah, I can see a lot of that going on with this Rams team right now, and I'm not very confident in their postseason um, um, outlook given what we've seen from them thus far. So we'll see how that ends up going. But as it is right now, I'm not, I'm not high on them. So that's going to do it for the NFL section. Switch gears. There has been an outbreak of COVID for the Chicago Bulls. I was trying to find a different word, but that's what it is. They have five players in COVID protocols right now. Derek Jones is the latest to join them. Um, he joins Javante Green, uh, DeMar DeRozan, Kobe White, and I am Matt Thomas. Matt Thomas is probably the least necessary of them all, but you don't want that, right? You still don't want to have players going into the COVID protocols. And this stretch when the Bulls were the second team, they had had the top spot for a, a game there. Um, well, no, second team, because I don't think they ever they over, overtook the Nets. But now they just lost a game uh, to, who did they just play and fall to that just kept coming at them as I pulled this up. But they went from 17-8, they lost 17-8 to 17-9 following their loss. I got to remember this. Oh, my gosh. This is going to make me so mad because it was a game that they should have won, but they got jumped out on. To the Cleveland Cavaliers and Larry Marketing, who jumped out on them again. Bulls are without five key players, um, two starters. And so you just – Caruso's out with a hamstring. Um, it, it's rough, man. <laughs> it was rough. It's ugly, and you just hope these guys get back. They got to take on the Miami Dol- Miami Heat. Oh, Miami Dolphins. I switched gears. We're over. They got to take on the Miami Heat on Saturday. Hopefully, they could get a win there. I'm not seeing it, though. They take on the Detroit Pistons at home, and then they go to Toronto to take on the Raptors. And hopefully, by then, before they take on the Lakers on December 19th, they will have a few of those guys back in the fold, and they can get rolling again here uh, before Christmas and, and down the stretch. Because they're all to a hot start, and you hate to see teams get wrecked by COVID. It's really stupid. Really, really stupid. It's a... I saw a report the other day. People are tired of they were tired of COVID, Delta, and a whole thing in general. And it wasn't the same when they were over it, like you know, over oh, by vaccinated. It's just people are tired of dealing with it. And I know it's selfish and it's childish and it's it's microscopic and whatever in in the grand scheme of things. But this one's pissing me off. <laughs> like just stop it, just stop it. Oh, I'm so tired of seeing it, man. Um, CJ McCollum dealing with a collapsed lung. That will keep him out indefinitely until they get reports about how that happened. And it happened on a rather arbitrary looking play um, the other night. I want to say against the Heat. I'm not sure about that, though. Don't quote me on that. So, praise over CJ. I hope he gets back soon. The other side, his backcourt mate, Damian Lillard, has been fending off rumors that he could be looking for a trade partner. Or I'm sorry, a trade uh, of Ben Simmons to the Trailblazers. Now. He came out as he often does and said that they just love drama and refuted the reports. But didn't say that he wanted to leave this time, which may, which struck me as different. There are off reports that he wants to go elsewhere, and those are all I always mean with the I have skepticism. But the suggestion that he could want Simmons as his running mate, I think, kind of stood out because that's a that's a good fit. Now, I will say this: he might not ever say it publicly. The organization. Needs to go. I've said it before. They need to. They need to come out and take a step of a bold leap of faith here and make that maneuver themselves to set their organization up for the future. Trade him while his value is highest, and and get a, a great haul from one of these teams. Now there is talks that 
the the conversations around Ben Simmons have heated up over the past few hours, uh, days as we get closer to that deadline when teams can start trading those guys that they signed in the offseason. Where I think we went, we go from like forty percent to sixty percent, or sixty percent to eighty percent, something like that. The league can be traded. Wild, wild jump. We'll see what happens there. But Dame is going to be fighting these rumors off for some time until he actually gets moved because this team is not going anywhere. That's the sad reality of it all, despite the fact that they are where are they right now in the in the in the Western Conference. Portland is currently, as my internet decides to go super slow because that's what it does for to me, uh, in the moments that I need it the most. Portland's currently 11th at 11th and 15. 11 and 15. They're not, you're not doing anything. Now, you're probably not trading him midseason because that the kind of money that's involved, you need to, you need to be able to work that, work that out in the offseason. But this won't be the last rumor that he hears. It has been, obviously, the first one, so I, it, it won't be the last. Get ready for that because it's going to be a lot. Steph needs 10 three-pointers to break the record. We are on Steph Curry watch as the uh, Warriors... Get set to take on the uh, who are they taking on tonight? I have got to get these schedules to, to line up properly. Philadelphia 76ers, and I think they play Milwaukee. You know, they play the Pacers the following night on Monday. So, um, on two, I'm sorry, not the following night, a day, two days later because they, they are off on Sunday. 10 free throws to catch Ray Allen for the all time three point lead record, and it's incredible. Now, I saw somebody say that Trey Young could be the one to break it. I believe that was Richard Jefferson. Maybe you're on Jalen Rose. One of the talking heads said it, and I, do, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. While Trey Young is prone to haul, haul off and hit those and, and, and chuck those deep threes, that's not really his game. His game is to set up his teammates and to attack and leave you guessing via either the float, if it's going to be a floater or a lob. The three is kind of stretch you out and open up the lane for him to attack you. So I, I disagree that it'll be Trey because I just don't think he'll shoot the volume that, that is needed to catch Steph. But keep an eye on that. 10. It's always nice to see history. Speaking of the Pacers, they are blowing it up. Um, after signing Rick Carlisle, the former head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, and one thought to be brought in to be to help them be a contender, they are open to moving both big men, one or both, one or both big men, Demonis Sabonis and uh Miles Turner, I believe, as well as other pieces. I I don't know what they thought coming into the season with this. They should have moved Turner in the first place. Um Turner's reportedly unhappy with his role. Sabonis is probably better suited for the five. I'm surprised to see that they were willing to, to move him as well. But I think to me that kind of should help Turner feel a little bit better that they are willing to get rid of the other guy to keep you in place. But it's not solid. And, of course, if you already felt slighted, this doesn't really help you as much as it does keep you at the same level that you were at. Pacers, though, are showing why they are have been struggling because they can't seem to, to, to settle on an identity, on a direction, and... That's how you get a blow-up of a team that was just being put together two years ago, right? T.T. Warren was getting hot in the bubble. Remember that? My, how times have changed. Anthony Edwards went full bloody effing loco. And if you don't know, you should look up who bloody effing loco is. And I'll tell you briefly because I'm going to tell you, but you should look it up because my description will do the video no justice. Bloody effing loco was a young man who was sitting on a train who felt like he was being disrespected by another young man sitting across from him. He then proceeded, bloody effing loco did, to berate this man and tell him that he puts no fear in his heart, no fear in his heart, and that he should remember the name bloody effing loco. Now, Anthony Edwards didn't go that far, but following their 136 to 104 or something like that, right, loss to the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, Anthony Edwards had some choice words, or for the Utah Jazz, excuse me, Anthony Edwards had some choice words for uh, Jazz Center and Surefire Hall of Famer Rudy Gobert. 
Uh, I think he was in in people's heads. Like, just he wasn't even blocking shots for a long day. I think he was just people was just going to the rim. It was just like, oh, they got Rudy Gobert. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling him like, bro, he's the same as anybody else, bro. Like, to me, the best repertoire game in the league is Porzingis. Like, anytime I go against Porzingis, I don't get no layups. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So like, I don't get why we couldn't finish on Rudy Gobert, but don't put no fear in my heart. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why. Well, Rudy Gobert, I want to start with you because there was a lot of talk after last night's game. I wondered if you heard any of it and how motivated you were for tonight because you came out so big. You know, I'm I'm motivated every night. Uh, people love to take shots, shots at me for no reason. Uh, it's funny because I never take shots at anyone, but I just do my job, come in every night, and... Uh, I think when you're, the, when you're the best in the world or something, you know, people get, become insecure. And that's, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep going, keep playing for my team and uh, keep getting wins. You were so spectacular tonight, not only defending one of the best big men in the league in Joel Embiid, but rebounding the basketball. Another 20-plus rebound night. How do you describe your desire to be so great at this? I think it starts with our defense. You know, when, uh, when we play great team defense like we did tonight, the rebounds are pretty much easy to get. You know, I just go and, and, and try to box out and, and just go get it. But it starts with defense, and uh, and I love the way we came out tonight as a team. No need to talk when your play does all the talking for you, right? Exactly. You know, I think, uh, I mean, I, I always stay focused on the game, uh, stay focused on my team, and uh, people can keep taking shots at me. You know, I just, I'm just going to keep keep being great, keep, keep getting better every night, and, uh, and, uh, and have fun, have my team win. So there you heard Rudy Gobert's response to Anthony Edwards, and Edwards did not go full bloody effing loco, and Gobert kept his cool, kept it, kept it very diplomatic. Um, the Jazz won that game one thirty six to one hundred four. So I don't know what the hell Anthony Edwards is talking about. He don't put no fear in my heart. They need to put some kind of fear in your heart. Like <laughs> you need to worry about something. One thirty six to one hundred four. You had eighteen points, Anthony Edwards. You shot forty three percent, yeah, and fifty percent from three, I believe. You had a solid game, but you had eighteen points, Anthony Edwards. You didn't dominate, right? Uh, he's the video that they show in that clip was from uh, Carlton Towns, and he kind of just like faded on the layup, and Gobert didn't even try to block it. You had 18 points, Anthony Edwards. I, lo- I love Anthony Edwards. I love his, I love his approach. I love his, I love his, his enthusiasm. I love his, his, his game. Stop pointing fingers. Stop pointing fingers, Anthony Edwards. You are a rookie, and I get it. You got this team. I've said it. The Wolves are a soft team. Towns is a player that I don't believe is 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 built for the the spotlight like that. Stop pointing things, Anthony Edwards. That is the next step in your development because you've already proven that you've got the ability. You've already proven that you've got the the willpower to be great. You've got to now stop pointing fingers like this. And I know people might say he's not pointing fingers. He's just, he's just being honest. And that, that's true. He might be. Be honest in the locker room. Keep that, you know, come out and say, man, we, gotta, we just got to finish better. But this sounds like you're pointing fingers. This is you saying, man, I don't know why guys, who's going up against Cat or who's going up against Gobert the most? We know what this is about. Like, just that, that's, that's off putting. You can't, you can't go that way as a young player. You just can't. You gotta, you gotta, that's his next step is to worry about being, um, try to be a very diplomatic, more diplomatic player. Rockets have, uh, a, they, they had a seven game winning streak. They finally lost to the uh, Milwaukee Bucks on Friday night. But I saw a report that said that they were 0-6 or whatever with Jalen Grant, whatever the hell it was, and 7-0 with him, without him. And clearly trying to point that there's something going on with Jalen Green being in the lineup and as opposed to him not. 
Hell no. The vast majority of their opponents while they were losing with Jalen Green were teams that were in the playoffs last season. The teams that they've been beating now were not in the playoffs. They've had two games against the Magic. They played, um, I forget who else they played, but they, they, they've been playing non-playoff teams, non-2021 playoff teams this year. Um, in this, in this, in, during that winning streak that they had, that seven game winning streak that they had, six seven game winning streak that they had. I, I we got to stop with the 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 rookie back. Like already, we're questioning whether or not his fit there. That's a bad team. They weren't a good team, right? That's what we thought. So I mean, you get a rookie coming in, and you're putting all the weight on his shoulders. I don't know what we expect, but I feel it. It just seems like it's too much. Oftentimes, meanwhile, you got Evan Mobley out here balling his head off. Um, looking like he's going to be a problem for years to come over a decade plus. And I just want to know, like, are we jumping the gun too soon on him while bailing too quickly on Jalen Green? Is it appropriate? I think it's appropriate for Mobley, by the way, um, while just being quicker to react on and change our opinions on on Green. I don't know what it is. Mobley, by the way, 39 points, 8.2 rebounds, 2.5 assists, um, nearly a steal a game, and he's uh, averaging two blocks a game, killing the game. 41, 48% from, from the field, 33% from three. Evan Mobley is killing the game. But that doesn't mean that Jalen Grant Green is not good. I just don't like that we've been kind of, we're already questioning whether or not it's him sinking the team. That's just not good. That's not good for him, for them, and ultimately um, anything to come out of this. So that's just how I feel about that. That's going to do it for this episode. Triple Zeros, be sure to follow me on Twitter at Joshy Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports, website, ClockerSports.com. Email the justice, Sports at gmail.com. And of course, follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at 30s Pod. It's the number three zeros and pod. And of course, read the stuff. Last round of pro football. Pivot ain't easy. SoaringDownSouth.com. Until the very next time. Put no fear in my heart, I mean. <laughs>